0: Hey, of all the things you got going on today, thank you for making time in your day to include us. Welcome to the quest. It's always good to be together. So before we get into the talk today, how about if we open up with a word of prayer? Father, we love you, and I just thank you for my friends that are watching. I thank you for each person. And Father, I just ask that you would step into the to their lives, whatever those, that might be. If that might be chaos, Father, that you would just step in and, and speak peace. Father, if that happens to be fear, I ask that you would step in and that you would Remove the fear that you would give them faith. Father, whatever it is that they're going through, if they're going through difficult seasons in their life and they need your presence in their lives, Father, we all need that. I just lift up each person and I ask that you would meet the needs of their life in the, in the individual way that they need you most. Father, today we just open up our hearts to you and we ask that you would speak into our lives and that you would help us with this question that we carry in our lives. and We, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in the series entitled Ask. And and the idea about this series, that the tagline anyway, is your questions matter. All of us have questions, every single one of us. The problem is, is that a lot of times we don't ask the questions because these questions are something that we just kind of carry around. We don't really pursue the truth about it. And then what happens is those questions turn to doubts. And then those doubts limit our lives. They also give us like a warped perspective of who God is because we never really discover the truth. Asking questions is important because asking questions helps us to discover God, helps us to grow in our faith. It helps us to develop a faith that we need in life and we need in this world. Something that we've been saying in the series is, the church should be a safe place for us to ask questions. Not only that, but the church should be a place that celebrates the pursuit of truth. And that means that we need to be pursuers of the truth ourselves. God wants you to grow, to develop, and to mature. But you have to want to ask the questions that you're carrying. Those questions that you're carrying are keep are barriers, basically, that prevent us from discovering who God is, from discovering how much God loves us, from discovering God in all of his fullness in our life. When it comes to these questions, something you can write down on your notes is this. God provided the Holy Spirit to teach you the truth. I want you to think about that. Your questions matter enough to God that He provided a personal teacher for you. This is the way Jesus said it. He said it this way He said, But the Holy Spirit will come and will help you because the Father will send the Spirit to take my place. The Spirit then will teach you everything and will remind you of what I said while I was with you. Another time, Jesus says this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. God doesn't want you in the dark and He doesn't want you uninformed. Your questions matter because your understanding matters. God wants you to understand Him and His love, to pursue the truth of His greatness, to pursue the truth of His love for you. So the question that we're looking at today is, how do I stop being so critical? You may not be one that deals with this issue, but there are many that do. The truth is that our words matter and our words are important. In Proverbs, it tells us just how powerful our words are when it says this. It says, words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Your words matter. They're either life or death. When it comes to our words, we need to be reminded just how much criticism can hurt and wound someone's heart. I would bet that you have a story. I would bet that somebody did something or said something to you that really cut you to the core. That really hurt you might even still be carrying the wound because criticism can really sting us criticism can really hurt us the other thing that I think we need to remember is I don't think we realize just how God can use an encouraging word from us to really help someone in need because we all have a tendency to be critical of others we need to pay attention to what Paul reminds us when he says this he says do not let any unwholesome that's poisonous and toxic and unnourishing talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do your words have purpose? Because they should. Do your words benefit those who listen? I don't know about you, if you know someone that's critical, I I think we all have a tendency to know someone that's critical, and don't look at your spouse. These are people that just don't seem to be happy. In fact, if you happen to be on the receiving end of criticism, It seems like you can do nothing right. They're always pointing out flaws and and faults in other people. And no matter what you do, it's never good enough. So let's first look at a definition of what criticism is. And it's this. To disapprove of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. It is to find fault. And here's the thing about criticism. It's easy to spot it in others. It's harder to see it in the mirror. We hate it when other people criticize us, but we feel justified in our criticism of others. We justify our criticism by saying, well, you know, their choices are stupid. They spend their money foolishly, they waste money. Or maybe we even get spiritual about it and say, you know, they don't put God first in their life. And so what happens is when things fall apart in their life or when they have problems that happen in their life, we're quick to respond with why they have those problems and why things are so bad for them. A critical person ultimately displays something very dark in their life. And it's this, I know what's best for your life. And there is a lot wrong with that because we become the standard of how others should live. We think that we know better than they do. And our problem is we've never walked in their shoes. We don't understand them. We don't even have compassion for their emotional or spiritual condition. Paul says in Galatians, he says, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself, you might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. We don't need to point out why things are bad. When we eliminate critical remarks, our words have greater potential to give life, to bring life to others. But with criticism, what we, what happens is we end up destroying each other. That's what Paul talks about when he says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love others as you love yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always critical and catty, watch out. Beware of ruining each other. We are not the standard. The standard is love. In fact, if we think that we're the standard, we've become blind to our own need. We become blind to our own flaws and our own faults. Listen, what happens if criticism is destroying the intimacy of your marriage? or building a wall between you and your kids. Or maybe it's just undermining your relationships in general. Ultimately what's happening is is it's preventing people from experiencing Jesus in you. The truth is we have no idea how one conversation of criticism can bring somebody down. We have no idea how one conversation of criticism can bring hurt and destruction that lasts for years into people's lives. I can tell you this, I'm here today because of a pastor in my life who spoke words of hope and encouragement into my life because of criticism of other people. His words helped me through my own insecurities, my own doubts, my own fears. We need to be reminded how God uses our words to provide hope and encouragement to build people up when they are in desperate need of being built up because they've been exposed to criticism and have been torn down. Listen, it is wise to allow your words to bring healing to others. Listen to what it says this way, Proverbs. It says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. I hope that you're wise today, and I hope that maybe if you're not wise, that from today, you will begin to take steps of wisdom. Don't you want your words to bring life and healing to others? We have to be very cautious because criticism can find its way into all of our lives, as I said. And I wanna look at some reasons why people become critical. The first one you can write down is this. Criticism can be an expression of hurt. Many times we carry hurt in our lives, and because hurt people hurt people, it becomes a mechanism that we use against others to protect ourselves from being hurt again. And something else you can write down is this. We tend to criticize what we see as a threat. See, the problem is we attack people. We see them as the threat, the enemy. And that exposes another reason that we become critical. And it's this. Criticism can be an expression of our insecurity. Criticism can be an expression of the lack of confidence we have in ourselves again because of the wounds in the past we can't risk being vulnerable with others we don't trust others and i think that when we don't trust others we don't love others and what that exposes is this we tend to criticize in others what we are most insecure about in ourselves it could be an area where we lack confidence maybe where we're self-conscious or it could be that we don't like something about ourselves but our criticism can reflect this insecurity And a lot of times, another reason that people become critical is this. Criticism can be an expression of pride. We're just trying to save face. We we want to appear more valuable than what we feel or the value we feel about ourselves. Pride prevents us from honesty, from being honest with ourselves, from being honest with others, and honest with God. So we never experience the healing that we need. You might remember the story about Job in the Old Testament. Job was a good guy and he was a godly guy. And one day Satan says, Hey, have you ever considered your, your man Job? That he only loves you because you bless him so much. And God says, No, that's not why Job loves me. And Satan said, Let me test him. And God allowed this testing to happen. Satan was testing Job's loyalty to God. And what happened is Job lost everything. And in his darkest times, Job sought the counsel of his friends like we all should. The problem is is that his friends were not really good friends. His friends were critical friends. They tore him apart. They didn't build him up. They were finding faults with Job and explaining why everything was so bad for Job. And Job responds at one point like this. He says, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? See, pride can cause us to find pleasure in the demise of others. People use pride to make themselves feel better about themselves. They want to look better than they actually feel. Job calls his friends out on this very thing. He says this, You are trying to make yourselves look better than me by using my disgrace as an argument against me. I don't know if you heard it, but there it was. There was he was pointing out the insecurity. He was pointing out the fear. He was pointing out the hurt. Listen, there are many problems with pride, but I think one of the big ones about pride and you can write this down is this pride will cause us to criticize in others what we justify in ourselves we criticize in others what we excuse in ourselves again it's a statement of judgment we pardon ourselves while we condemn others criticism can be an act of judging others And here's what Jesus says about that subject. He says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Judging others is finding faults in others. Jesus says there's no place for that in our lives as Christ followers because it makes us come across as holier-than-thou. In other words, we've got our stuff together while others don't. We're better than others, and that's not true. Listen, if we wanna be a church that reaches people that are disconnected from God, if we wanna be people whose words bring life, if we're gonna truly be people that love others as we love ourselves, then we need to address this issue in ourselves. And we'll never address it if we have a holier-than-thou mentality or we're pointing out the faults in others. We need to love differently. In Ephesians it says this, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. We have to decide that our love is going to be marked by giving life rather than criticizing others. What kind of a person do you want to be? I give you two options. The first option is this, do you want to be a fault finder? This quite honestly is what most people are because of our sinful nature. We tend to look to find what's wrong before we find what's right. You can take a relatively good person and pick them apart even without knowing them. And of course it happens because we don't completely understand them. We take them apart by saying, I don't like the way you walk. I don't like the way you chew your food. I don't like the jokes that you tell. I don't even like the way that you breathe. There's nothing that they can do that is right or good enough. Jesus identifies two fault finders and the first one are the Pharisees this is exactly what the Pharisees did religious leaders who felt that they were better than others they created rules that they themselves were not willing or able to carry out they made it their job or their position in the community to always find the faults of others another fault finder that Jesus identifies is this Satan Truth is, is when you find faults in others, you're doing the work of the enemy. Satan is identified as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He points out your flaws and faults to God. Listen to what the scripture says in Revelation. It says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night finding faults. That's what the Pharisees did. It's what Satan does. And the reality is that's what a lot of us do. And a lot of us get caught in this kind of trap because we have pride and because we think we know better than others. We refuse to look at the flaws of our own life. We think that we have accomplished more than we actually have. So we have to decide, are we going to be a fault finder or are we going to be a hope dealer? A hope dealer, not a dope dealer. Hope. We have the opportunity every time we speak to give hope to others. Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the hope in you will be extended to those around you. You remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? Again, the Pharisees, the fault finders, they caught this woman in adultery. And in their attempt to try to trap Jesus, they pointed out that according to the law, she should be stoned. And Jesus looks at these fault finders and he says, hey, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And when they all recognized that they themselves were guilty, they all walked away. And the scripture records it this way. It says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are your fault finders? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I, go and sin no more. Listen, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Jesus is called our hope. In Titus chapter 2, Jesus is called the blessed hope. In 1 Peter 1, Jesus is referred to as our living hope. Jesus is our hope dealer. Just remember, a fault finder belittles, demeans, and tears down. A hope dealer strengthens, lifts up, and encourages others. So real quick, how do we stop being so critical of others? This is the application step. We can be aware of the issue or the problem in ourselves, but until we deal with it, that problem doesn't go away. We've got to address it if we want to eliminate it. So the first thing we need to do, I would say, is this. We need to ask God to change our heart. I need to recognize the problem within myself and ask God to change me. And the reason we need a changed heart is this. Jesus said in Luke, he says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. In other words, the potential of your words reflects the condition of your heart. A prideful heart, an insecure heart, a fearful heart will always find faults in others. A changed heart and a healed heart will always speak life into others. You remember David asked God for a changed heart when he says, Create in me a new, clean heart, O God. Here's another way that we stop being so critical of others, and that's this. We learn to look for the good in others. I use the word learn because you really can learn a new behavior. If you're willing to learn. If you want to learn. See, many people have been finding faults in others for so long that they've forgotten how to find the good in others. And we will always find in others what we're looking for. Another way that we stop being so critical of others is this. We have to use our words to speak life. We'll have to make that choice. Allow your words to have purpose. Allow your words to give life and give hope to others. Train yourself to think before you speak. And here's the thought we need to have. How can I help this person with my words? How can I encourage this person? How can I speak encouragement and life into this person? And one last way that we stop being critical of others is this. We learn to appreciate people. Be grateful for people. Be thankful for people. See them as a gift from God rather than a threat into your life. Seek to help people, to be compassionate for people. We can't be critical of those we choose to love. We can't be critical of those we want or are trying to help. You can't be critical of people when your purpose is to give life to people. Many of us know the scripture, John 3:16, the one that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But few know the scripture that follows that one. And I want to read it for you because it demonstrates God's love for us and what that looks like and how we model that. Listen to what it says. It says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He didn't send his son to be a fault-finder. He came to help. He came to give hope, to put the world right again. I want to encourage you to allow the God of hope to fill you so much that those around you experience the hope within you. Start paying attention to your conversations. Start listening to your words and ask God to allow your conversations and your words to have a purpose of giving hope and life to others. Listen, if you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, if you want hope to fill your life, then you have to ask God to change your heart. We all need a changed heart. I think we need to constantly be asking God to change our heart. Make it clean so that it reflects Him. If this is your first time or if it's your hundredth time, I want you to ask God to make your heart clean so that your life reflects Jesus so that your words and your conversations give life rather than finding faults so let's pray together father we love you so much and each person that's listening i lift them to you for those that want to begin a relationship father i ask that you step in and that you forgive their sins as they put their faith in you jesus and as they ask for forgiveness as they make you the center of their life father i just pray that you would give them strength and life and joy and hope that you would allow it to fill their lives father I ask that for all of us help us to be people whose words reflect life rather than finding faults in others rather than criticizing others rather than being a fault finder help us to be a hope dealer father we need your strength in our lives we need your presence in our lives and ask that your spirit in us would enable us to speak life into others. Father, help us to be aware of our words and the potential of our words. Father, may the purpose of our conversations be to encourage, build up, strengthen, and give life and hope to others, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I know that that's what God wants for all of us, and it's difficult, it's impossible for us to speak life when we are so critical of others. Listen, thank you again for being with us today, making us a part of your day. Thank you for including us in your day. I'm praying for you, and I'm asking God to give you the strength that you need. And I'm asking God to help you with the choice of words that you use, that we would be less critical of others. In fact, we would remove the criticism and allow hope and healing to be distributed through our lives. Have a great rest of your week. God's very best to you. Bye-bye.